This is a Sydney EO production. Welcome to episode 44 of the Sydney EO Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm joined with Clovis Young from the Chief Mad Max, actually, aren't you, mate? I am. I'm the head honcho. Thanks for having <laughs> me. It's great. Um, do you speak Spanish, by the way? Sí, un poco. Un poco. I, a little bit, yeah. I spent a semester in Chile learning okay. Spanish. So, so what got you into Mad Max? Like, it seems, we, we, did you have a history in food or, um, like... You yeah, don't I think, sound I think, like you, you, you were born in Australia, so... I certainly don't look like a Mexican guy, so I, I can't just go on the front of the, on the, front of the TV and be the, the character. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Southern California. In Southern California, it was kind of the heart of Mexican food in the U.S. in the 70s and 80s. My father's from San Diego. Um, we grew up in Berkeley, California, a pretty cool area outside of San Francisco. So we grew up on Mexican food. It was just a common thing, right? And then my parents moved to Massachusetts, and Massachusetts was kind of whatever the antithesis of uh, cool Mexican food was. <laughs> so I, A, I was pissed we moved to Massachusetts to the country, and B, there was no Mexican food. So I'd say from age 9 or 10, I kind of got a weird obsession with Mexican food. So I think a lot of people get into whatever their business interests are late in life. I did a whole bunch of stuff and then came back to my first passion, which was Mexican food. And I think from memory, like we, we often talk about this, you had a you went to uni with a, a one of my early business partners that did a crazy idea is that what was the education like did it, was it an entrepreneurial school or like what made you go into your own business i guess yeah it's funny i went to i was excited about mexican food after college and i thought i could do this i was the number one the very first customer to eat taco bell in maine where i went to undergraduate oh wow so i had the weird kind of you know i'd show up to parties with like 20 <laughs> tacos from taco bell and people were like what's clovis on about yeah. um so i had a, a long history but after uh, I, I studied Latin American history at a liberal arts college, and I realized that there was not much jobs prospects for a, for a history major uh, with a Latin American studies kind of focus. Yeah. But I did fall in love with the kind of finance world, so I ended up kind of getting a, a first job and a second job and a third job in Wall Street and ended up working as a trader in New York City for about three or four years. So I was an equities trader. I was sitting on a desk. We were buying and selling. It was super exciting and super fun. And uh, I realized after a period of time that that was kind of it wasn't boring because it's super exciting. Every day was interesting, mm. but it wasn't very value fulfilling. So um, this, this seems to be a common story with um, guys in finance. That I don't know if they make enough money to go and do something else, or they just it doesn't satisfy them, so they need to go off and do something. That I think is, so. I mean, the, the common refrain in Wall Street is like, "What's your number?" Right. Uh, is it two million? Is it four million? Is it ten million? But yep. no one wants to be there past the number, right? You're there for a, for a purpose. Yeah, there right. are certain guys that just love, you know, mathematics or whatever. So, but I'd say for the most part, um, of of the people I worked with, I'd say only ten percent are still in that world, and the other ninety percent have gone off to do other really cool things. Okay. So I went back to business school, and I said, you know, from Latin American history base, why don't you learn some basic, you know business skills and I just had I absolutely fell in love with business I fell in love with marketing I fell in love with human uh, resources stuff I never thought I would be interested in really I turned turned on so um well while everyone else goes to business school they usually come in you know as an engineer and they want to have a career change so this is their pivotal uh, yeah. kind of job change for me I, I forgot to do any interviews I, uh, I was so into the content uh, I did reasonably <laughs> well in school that I, I basically walked out of business school as like in the you know top 10% of my class with no job prospects because I actually hadn't gone to any interviews. 
Yep. Um, so I, I did join a friend for a brief period of time in Florida working in, in the finance and insurance business, which I worked out pretty quickly. I hated almost yeah. more than anything else. And then sitting in Florida, I said, hey, I'm going to go back to this initial passion and I'll, I'll move to, uh, to uh, Australia to open up a Mexican restaurant. But going back to your friend, he and I were both in kind of, we did an entrepreneurial course and he ended up, we were, I was trying to figure out how to do like a boost juice uh, kind of concept. Got it. Yeah. Um, and he was working on a bubble tea concept and yep. also a sleep pod concept. So yep. we ended up crossing paths a lot and having a lot of fun. Um, he's gone on to do all kinds of cool entrepreneurial stuff. Um, yeah. Because I think that was the connection you, my business coach at the time or my mentor at the time, I was driving around in one of the sleep pod vans because that's yeah. how I sort of started out in the mid uh, noughties or one of the businesses I had. So. Yeah. Um, that was a connection. I think you were the next door neighbor of my business mentor. Yeah, that's right. Willara, so. And my main takeaway from that whole experience of kind of even helping him look at designs of pods and whatever um, is I am a 100% believer that if you're tired, take a nap. So in my office, I've got a big, ugly chair and I've got a door and I've got a <laughs> sign that says, Clovis is sleeping, please piss off. Uh, and I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just walk into my office and fall asleep. And people think it's weird, but I, I actually think that should be the norm. If, do, do you let your staff? nap as well I let them but it, you know it's funny no it's a one cultural really, thing yeah isn't no it, one really feels comfortable and mm. in fairness to them we don't have a we don't have the space or the mm. budgets to have a yeah you know a high-end consulting firm sleeping room kind yeah of thing yeah and so you come to Australia what year is that where you, you open your first Mad Max yeah so 2006 I came over on a holiday like 2003 2004 looked around saw a beautiful country saw people that were friendly and engaging went down to Bondi Beach saw the kind of lifestyle that I grew up with in Southern California California. So that connection was immediate. And then my second thought was, well, great, we're at a beach, they're surfing, there's got to be a burrito near here. And uh, it turned out that there wasn't, there wasn't anything. So I did, a, I came back and I did a, a two week trip and I went to 25 Mexican restaurants in Sydney area. And I basically worked out that it was all pretty rubbish. What, what brand, were they just independent? stores yeah. at that time there was no chains or yeah there was one in Randwick called Aztecas there was one in the city Pacifico which was really fun great oh, yeah. place to get pissed there was yeah. one up in uh, North Sydney called Had to Happen yeah uh, you know we're guaranteed to get gastro after you went in there Montezumas I seem to remember as Montezumas yeah Montezumas is a bad joke right because Montezumas revenge is when you get really bad gastro <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a it's, uh, a it's a they were having fun when they named it so I came over here, I, you know, we sold two houses, sold a car, and had a bit of money, made some money in Wall Street, and I said, I'm going to open up a single restaurant. I'm going to design it based on everything I've learned about watching these chains in the U.S. So there's a couple of chains at the time. There was Chipotle had 200 locations. Now they've got you know, 1,500. Uh, there was a group called Moe's that had you know, 200, and they were on the way to build another 600. There was a group called Qdoba and Salsas and so on. So I studied those guys pretty carefully for about a year. And then I came over here, designed the first Mad Max, and I had a realistic assumption that it would be 50% of all restaurants fail in the first two years. So I didn't come over here, A, willing to spend all my money, or B, with kind of overly optimistic. But I did say that we we're going to go and we we're going to win on the best quality food, and we we're going to win on amazing customer service. We were going to put our hands up. We we're going to do everything we possibly could. And then, if we didn't work out, at least I got this crazy Mexican thing out of my system. <laughs> Right, yeah. and that was part of it. Like you, yeah. you, you almost just scratch need to the itch. Do it or don't do it, but stop fucking talking about it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that was a big piece of it. Um, the, and then, so where was that first store? 
that was in Darlinghurst. Oh, okay. I know that yeah. one on Crown Street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. And I, wor- I worked in that business as, you know, the chef. And as and I, I had a chef that I was working with and a business partner. And then I brought in an operations guy because I worked out that I couldn't figure out how to run a good business. So my, my number one very quick learning was there were people out there that knew how to run rosters and food costs and kind of the day in and day out operations. I can still work the grill, roll a burrito and do product development as well as anyone in the business. But I think, yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a interesting, obviously you don't do that anymore, but um, um, well, how, how important is that for, you know, for a new business starting off that the, the head honcho knows what? I don't, I don't know. I don't know how other people do it. I, I, I hear from people in the groups in EO and otherwhere, other, other locations that, you know, they, they put together a team, they have a high degree of trust, they empower people and they understand. And that isn't necessarily my way of doing things. My way is to kind of become absolutely expert at a minutia detail, lock yep. that into a file, try to figure out how all those pieces work together. Hmm. And then I can step back with a kind of a, and delegate a, a, it. Yeah. a vision for how all the pieces come together. And I think that's where, you know, that kind of shaper, influencer kind of piece comes. Hmm. Um, I do try to understand the detail so that I understand the big picture. Well, I guess if you're managing other people, it, it, it's helpful to know what they need to be able to do to execute well. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I think my team loves the fact that they can rely on me for insights, and they hate the fact that I'm constantly finding the small little piece that doesn't fit because I kind of see how yep. different pieces fit together. Yeah, And that really works in a franchising system where the system itself has to be the system, right? So you have to figure out how all these pieces come together, and you have to iteratively improve the efficiencies and the speed. Um, okay, so that's something that maybe I didn't understand. So Mad Max is a franchise group, or do you own all the restaurants, or how does that all work? Yeah, so we currently own 21 of the 60 in Australia. Uh, the, the New Zealand master franchisee, is a, he runs his own business, uh, and then we have a master franchisee in Singapore and now Malaysia. So those are new in the last uh, six months. Okay. But we, we, got to the, we got to a size of, say, three or four locations. Mm. I had taken my minimum, my maximum investment threshold, and I'd spent all my money because I got excited about the idea. So now it's pot, <laughs> pot committed. Yeah. Um, and then we realized that, you know. Well, it's a, proof of concept, right? You've proved yeah, the concept prove, works, prove people one, like it. Prove one, then we did two more, so we had three. And then we were like, okay, well, if we want to do six, then that's another you know, yeah. million dollars. And yeah. where's that coming from? Yeah. So franchising was really a funding a funding situation uh, and it's also we found out pretty quickly that it's just awfully hard to get a super engaged employee in a business right like Australia just doesn't have a, a big broad depth of uh, yeah. hospitality professionals there's a lot of independent cafe owners and then there's a lot of people that kind of come up through Macros or QSR but there isn't that kind of robust depth of talent so the franchising model was in part just about how do you find people who want to be entrepreneurs how do you find them how do you give them the tools how do you how do you support their success and then trust that they've got that kind of self-determination and that drive to go out there and and do much better in some cases than we could do at a corporate restaurant what what's the percentage of franchisees that are successful like because i i would imagine sometimes you come across a type of individual that says, ah, oh, no, that way sucks, I'll just do it my way. Yeah. We do site profiling on franchisees, and we pick that up about halfway through. We mm-hmm. do uh, a couple of days of in-restaurant in testing. We do you know, six to eight weeks of training. They have to pass all of these things to get in. Um, people always surprise you with, with the kinds of things they do. Sometimes they do things that are in their best interest, and sometimes they don't. And mm-hmm. what it is about humans and why we do what we do, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Generally speaking, our franchisees do really well. I think in retail, generally, you know, one out of every 10, you put all the right pieces together and something doesn't work. You know, the yeah. shopping center puts in 
five more food operators. Yeah, or, right. Or, uh, so it's external factors that you it's, couldn't it's, have anticipated. It's maybe. All, of, all of those things, yeah. But 90% success rate's pretty good. Yeah, so I mean, it's a bell curve, right? So there's yeah. some people doing extraordinarily well, um, and then there's the middle ground, and then there's the stuff we're working on all the time. Yeah. And I'd say that bell curve is married up and matches our belt, our corporate curve. You know, we've got, of the 21, there's probably six or seven that are just absolute cash cows, and then there's another eight that are good businesses, mm. and there's always mm. four or five you're trying to figure out what's, what's not working. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what were the, uh, so you go from one to two, up to four, then what happened? You got some funding or? Well, we started franchising and yeah, franchising, franchising is funding. So we would yep. build, sell, use that money to build two more. Oh, sell. awesome. So it was self-funding. So we managed to retain uh, 100% equity. Around that time, I brought in a business partner who was this guy, Philip Blanco, who was a good friend uh, who we just met because he walked into the restaurant. And he had the experience of working with Gloria Jeans as they went from, say, two, rest- two cafes to 200. So wow. he knew real estate. He knew franchising. I knew how to make a box work, I knew how to make the food taste good, and I knew how to build a culture. So he was really responsible for the growth side of it. I was there to make sure that the product was good, that the, the training and all the pieces kind of came together. Hmm. And that, that relationship worked really well. We were kind of hand-in-hand uh, hand with the business for about five years, and then we kind of did some other stuff. But that really got us from, say, four restaurants to, say, 40 or 50. And is he still involved in the business? He sold out this last uh, last year in late 2018. Yeah, we sold half our business to a Singaporean group called Four Fingers, uh, and part of that was his kind of say, "Hey, we've done this for about 10 years. I'm ready to go off and do something else." Yep. Um, and uh, that worked out really well. They also wanted to be our master franchisee for Singapore, Singapore and Malaysia. Got yeah. Uh, and likewise, they've got some businesses in Australia which we can help them with. And so you're at 60 now. Is there room for a lot more growth? I think so. I, we're, we took about three years where we really said, you know, we're going to grow at two or three, and we're going to close two or three. What, sorry, what does that mean, grow at two or three, uh, two two, or three we, times? We don't, or? We don't, no, no, so we would open two or three restaurants. Basically what we said was we, we've grown really quickly, and we got the speed wobbles. We yep. got the speed wobbles. Got indigestion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I think that happens with everyone, right? You, you see the opportunity, you go hard. Yeah. Um, we got to that stage where, you know, we had – processes weren't as clear as they needed to be. The culture wasn't indexing where it wanted to be. The internal support office function had a low NPS. There was a lot of, just a lot of dysfunction. Uh, we needed a new accounting system. We needed to redo a website. We basically stopped and said, okay, what are we gonna do? And and our our sales started to decline, right? So the the kind of the fish rots from the head. I had to take a good look at how I was leading teams, uh, how I was setting the company up either for success, success or failure. Um, I was kind of processing a divorce, which kind of all happened in the middle of all this. And we basically said, we're going to just go back to basics. So we built an ERP system. We did a year and a half of brand work, which we'll talk about later maybe. We changed over the entire management team, um, and we took that internal NPS. Uh, and also we brought in a, a people and culture coach who would come from the UK, this woman, Julie Spring, who's just a genius. We call her the, the people whisperer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and about kind of converting our business into a, a, a learning environment. I don't know if you look at the principals group or they, they, they think of their organization as a leadership development kind of business. And I realized, you know, four or five years ago, we didn't have a leadership philosophy or a leadership plan or a, or a focus on how to, how to be a good leader or how to train our operations teams to go out and train franchisees to be a good leader. And we said, well, if we're gonna grow this from say 50 to 200, how do we grow a business that's got this crazy, unique way of embracing a leadership philosophy and then making sure that that is lived across you know, 100 locations with 
1,500 kids working in our business. So there's all the scale on how you how you flow mm. things from the from the top down to you know from you know a thousand kids all trying to pull the same way. It's a it's a complicated challenge. What what drives you? I mean, it sounds like an incredible amount of work to get the energy to put all this together and make it work and you know mm. turn it around as well when you when you've hit a few hurdles. Like, what do you think on a personal level keeps you? Yeah, it's funny. Coming back. When we, when we were kind of facing down the barrel of two years of negative growth and kind of an internal NPS of, you know, minus 10, minus 20 instead of plus 20, um, your ego really comes into play. Like, do you do you cut your losses? Do you walk away? Do you, do you look at yourself really hard in the mirror and figure out what your contribution to that is? Um, I took a good hard look at myself and at the business and said, you know, I'm not willing to give up. I believe that this can be everything I dreamed it would be. We're so close, um, and to be honest, when will we ever get a chance to have this kind of machinery to play with, right? Yeah. This is a great toy yeah. if you want to prove yourself. Yeah. There's a big piece that I think entrepreneurs, they want to just prove they can do something, hmm. just for their own kind of, you know, how, why do you climb Everest? Because it's sitting there, right? You just want to go out and, I mean, there's, yeah. no, there's no good reason to climb Everest. Um, I think the other piece with franchising that is kind of in the background also is that, <clears throat> There are good people who have bought into your vision and their house, their family, their future depends on you coming through. So you can't just walk away. You can't abandon your responsibility. You've got a responsibility. Yeah, you got a lot of, you got a lot of people. It's not just about you. You've got a yeah. whole heap of people that are relying on your And you it's, know, not, it's, not just, it's not just people we pay salary to. That's kind of almost easier. People, you know, I had to shut down or I had to cut back on staff. Well, you know, there's other jobs out there. But if, if your house is on the line and your financial future depends on this thing working, uh, that's a whole different level of pressure. Mm, so mm. that's an important piece. Yeah. Um, and so you've turned it around now, and and you're you're moving you're moving towards the future. What what have you got? You've got a, a bit of a branding change and repositioning happening at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't be any more delighted. Last year we had like for like sales comps of plus I think six and a half or seven percent. Uh, this year for the first half of the year we're up about eight percent. In, an, in a retail economy that's pretty rubbish. So so that must give you a, a huge amount of satisfaction. You know, you're going from flat and now it's 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 out of the blocks again. Yeah, I kind of, I operate more on relief versus, you know, it's really <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. less night sweats. Um, yeah, there, it, there is that, but then there's, you know, wow, we've done this. We've, we've you know, we've, we've worked on a hundred different projects. I can't tell you which one is the one that's made the big difference. Mm. And I can also tell you there's another 100 that are sitting there in that to-do list. So okay. I, I'm still kind of just focused on, you know. It's hugely creative, isn't it, to be coming up with all those different ideas to. Well, the team's make, great. Yeah. And the team believes in, I guess we'll talk about the, the values, but um, you know, we have an exercise where we go around uh, once a year and we just figure out what are all the things that are wrong with the business that are preventing us from being this vision of what we think is the best business we can be. Mm. And we just list them all down. So then we pick, you know, three or four of those projects by department. You know, it might be an ERP system. It might be we need to redo the website. It might be we need a piece of software that integrates something. And then those just get kind of added to the annual list. And at the end of the year, we've usually done 85% of them. So we do kind of, we've adopted a traction EOS yep. style yep. of business without ever having read traction. And okay. then we gone back in traction and thought, hey, that's pretty good. We should maybe we should switch to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's not me, right? It's it's the whole team. And so the repositioning. What what are you, what are you planning on? Doing? Yeah. So so we always had a philosophy of fresh, healthy, honest food. We wanted to be the thing that you could you could eat instead of McDonald's. Yeah. And have a good meal, a healthy meal you could eat five days a week, and you'd be better off for that. Mm-hmm. 
because I'm not a marketing guy, I'm a finance guy, I don't know that I ever really got the storytelling about that right. Um, we kind of said, well, it's obvious when you see the food in front of you, it's obvious when you um, when you taste it, when you don't feel sick afterwards, all the things you kind of could say maybe about McDonald's. Um, but we've gone back, we've redone our brand positioning. We started with a purpose exercise and I realized we didn't have clarity or a guiding light. So I worked with Step Change and Ash Bishop and his guys to kind of really get clear on a purpose. The purpose is to inspire bold, honest, and healthy living. And that was really- Sounds, was, sounds a little bit like EO, some parts of EO. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, and it was before EO, um, before I joined EO rather. Right. But I think that, you know, and even getting the team to understand that that was more than just lip service was a big one. We went through a values exercise. So we, we're cheeky because it's Mexican, it's fun. Um, we're authentic because we believe that you should be yourself and you should also constantly be trying to improve. And you should be connected because we live in a world that's got disconnection. Uh, we also have co connections with customers. We want to build a community. So those values, then that kind of rolled into this fresh fuel for life. Mm -hmm. um, so you need to eat good food. You need to go out and do something awesome with your life because we get one crack at this thing and how do we inspire people to go out and live a big life now that's a big ask who are you you're a mexican restaurant selling burritos what business do you have telling me to go out and live a big life or, or whatever it is right so there's layers of resistance initially in the business like what are we talking about why don't we just sell queso you know are we really in the business of higher spiritual <laughs> affirmation or are yeah. we just in the burrito business yeah um what I'm really excited about is this fresh fuel for life positioning is kind of coming to life this year. Yep. The way we've chosen to do that is through sponsorship. So we'll be sponsoring youth, high high performance young people in okay. Australia uh, first and then rolling that out to New Zealand to Singapore. Uh, whether they're surfers, skateboarders, uh, unique individuals that just do awesome stuff. Like there's a girl from the Northern Beaches who's a power lifter who's got two world records. You know, she's a blonde, 18 year old who you would never know is a world champion power lifter yep. so we want to celebrate those people that have done this incredible thing they've worked really hard they've chosen to live a big life and accomplish something great uh, so we're sponsoring some kids from Marubra who are uh, you know they're on track to be on the Olympic team for the swimming or for surfing yeah but that's you know they're 13 so yeah. we go in we don't give them a ton of money we don't have a lot of money uh, mm -hmm. we give them stickers backpacks hats clothing a couple of grand for travel uh, we then connect them with mentors in that industry so we're working with surfing australia surfing new south wales to kind of find a mentor for each cluster of these kids uh, and then we help ampl amplify them on social media and vice versa they're talking about our products so there's a nice synergy from a business perspective oh, that's really cool um, and then all of that content will be able to be consolidated and then put into a tv screen in restaurants so when we want to inspire people to go out and do something now we'll have somebody young we can see them training we can see how hard they work we can see how high, how they're performing um, and hopefully then we'll have a bit of fun entertainment that kind of connects the food with kind of an active out, outdoor lifestyle. Mm, that so, sounds amazing. How yeah. long did it take you to come up with this? Uh, yeah, it's it, funny. it sounds really simple when you just roll it out, but I'm sure it would have been a lot of time in the planning to... Yeah, so we, we, we work internally with our marketing team and leadership team. We've worked with agencies. Uh, we had four or five ideas. We kept refining it down to this one. We committed to this idea 12 months ago, and we're not. We're just launching this kind of now in March 2020. Um, this year, we're sponsoring the Avoca Surf Comp, which mm. is February 24th to 29th. Yep. Um, up in Avoca, so we'll be the Mad Max. We'll be feeding all the surfers, so we'll have a tent set up. We'll have food for six days for all the surfers and all the people working there. 
as kind of a way to introduce ourselves to the surfing community in a, in a mm. meaningful way. Yep. Um, and I think it's, there's a guy named Jeffrey, I think it's Jeffrey Hoffman who came and spoke at EO a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his thing was, he started booking.com. He said, your business should be aligned with what you want out of life. And he said, I wanted to travel, so I started booking.com. Well, I think hanging out with surfers and going to the beach or going and riding dirt bikes with crazy dirt bikers, man, that's really cool. So yep. when it kind of came down to how you position it, I was, selfishly, I was like, well, what actually sounds like the most fun? And, and this is going to be super fun. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's an extension of the brand, isn't it? You were saying that it's fun and cheeky, so mm. it, it all aligns really nicely. And so... What's the what's the future then? You you were saying, I'm not sure if we we were talking on yep. or before. Ed, Might you have been before. Saying, you, you were saying about that you sold part of the business a few years ago to a. Yeah, it's a Singaporean group, and they they have a really great Korean style fried chicken product that's really popular in Singapore and Malaysia. So we've opened up in the uh, the KLCC, the Petronas Towers, you know, the okay. ones in the movie, which is yep. which is kind of like. A, spine tingling just to think about how cool that is to yeah. imagine you're open and your food's up there um, what we'll see is we'll see uh, really push but not too hard into Malaysia we want to see if, if we can you know is there a market do they get it um, yeah. what are the do, you know do they eat taco kits on Tuesday night like we do in Australia or is it just a foreign concept so we'll have to find out what the appetite is but the potential in those kinds of countries that have 80 or 90 million people oh, it's, so many, it's amazing so many right? people right if it can take off and the big, the big trend, what we're seeing in Asia is that, you know, that health kick that kind of maybe started out of LA in the '90s uh, hit Australia with naked bulls and and pokey bulls. That is fully landing into into Singapore and Malaysia and oh, China. Right. Okay. So this idea that they, you know, they, you know, they they had the same kind of trajectory we had with the Western diet, like everyone's healthy, then everyone's fat and sick. Oh my God, what are we going to do about it? So the the bell is going off in Asia that healthy food actually matters. So I think now the market is receptive uh, and we just need to make sure that we're understood as yep. is this kind of healthy, good good option. So, so that's, that's, an, that's, that's kind of Asia. And then in Australia, we're, we're, uh, we've kind of gotten enough of our systems and processes and cultural pieces right that we're pretty excited about the opportunities here. So we'll be growing uh, more aggressively in 2020 than we have for the last couple of years. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, now I've just got five short questions to ask you before we wrap up. Uh, how old are you? 45. And how many hours sleep are you getting each night? Five and a half. Five and a half, Clovis. But I'm, but I'm in bed for seven and a half. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, what do you like to do to keep fit? I ride a dirt bike uh, and I do a bit of spear fishing, and I go to the gym one day a week. Okay, doke. And then um, do you have any personal goals that you would like to achieve in the next 12 months? I need to lose five kilos or stay under 110 kilos. And I'm a pretty tall guy, so it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> and then finally, if you could be remembered for one thing in business, uh, what would that be? Oof, um, what's, your, what's your big burrito to the world? It's somewhere in between Traction and The Principles book by Ray Dalio, trying to find a way to kind of take the the smart stuff that we learn about Neo and elsewhere and try to figure out how to make that accessible to younger people and to individuals. Uh, so it's it's kind of what is what is the business training and leadership training that we can de- deliver down to, you know, an 18, 19 year old kid who might be from Nepal yep. that will then be a, a transformative moment in his uh, kind of growth. 
Oh, that's very cool. And so if people want to find out more about uh, Mad Max, what's Mad- your website? Madmax.com.au. Yep. And, and how many restaurants do you have in Sydney? You probably have a... a in New South Wales, there's about 20. Okay. Um, Victoria, 10, 12. Uh, WA, there's another 10. And some in Queensland. Yeah, so go and check out Mad Max. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on, Clovis. Hey, thanks for having me. It's fun.